This is the Jets-Centric Podcast, your home for Winnipeg Jets, talk, thoughts, and takes. Uh, welcome to the uh, Jet-Centric Podcast. Uh, this is Roddy here, and uh, I have the honor of being here at uh, Santa Lucia on Corden. With, Home uh, game for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think he owns a place, but I'm here with Andrew Hustler-Patterson, and, uh, you know, uh, it's an honor for me to, to sit across the table from you. Hey, but... Roddy, come on, you're too kind. No, this is great. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. You've been, uh, you know excited about the Jets since day one when they came back and been doing a lot of great things and uh, I would say this is too long coming but uh, awesome hanging out and uh, having a beer and talking Jets with you. That's awesome that's awesome yeah I just uh, you know I just wanted to start off this uh, interview by talking about you and how you got started and I know you're a Winnipeg boy and um, just yeah you know what I mean I mean, without going too well, we can go too far back. I mean, during Jets 1.0 days, I mean, I was a kid into a teenager and spent, uh, you know, most of my game nights at games. Uh, figured out the uh, nice ushers who would find extra tickets or maybe let us into the building. And uh, even before that, selling drinks and hot dogs and stuff at the games. I mean, it was sort of part of my life growing up. Um, you know, and when I was, I got into university, got a job with the Jets, luckily uh, selling season tickets when they started doing it. It was sort of a foot in the door. And, you know, it was really unfortunate. I mean, I go through school, working there in the summers. To be honest with you, I didn't even want to go back to university. I mean, I wanted to just, you know, work for the team. But, you know, go keep doing that. This is a good way to good way to get your foot in the door you'll want that degree if you're going to look for a good job and uh, basically as soon as I was uh, finished up the team was uh, off to Phoenix so (laughs) my time was very poor in some ways but I got to be one of the first employees of the Moose and um, you know worked there and did just about everything in the organization ticket sales corporate sales director of marketing I went for a year worked for the Oilers um, doing sales and uh, ended up coming back to be director of marketing with the Moose then did um, you know, sold a lot of the sponsorships and suites going into the new new arena. Um, and I basically done just about everything. I, mean, I was interested in communications with Scott Brown, who's still with the organization, was there. It wasn't really a lot of movement and ended up getting an opportunity with Hockey Canada. And it was a nice little transition for me out of working for basically the only place I'd ever known as an adult, um, you know, for what became True North at the start of was the Moose um, before the Jets. And... Um, you know, I um, had, well, I mean, basically, he worked up there and got a chance to um, sell everything in the new building um, and then, you know, into Hockey Canada, um, putting on the World Women's Hockey Championships. And in that time, um, completely aside from everything else, a friend of mine that I used to work at the Moose with, Robert Zilek, started this NFL Sunday ticket show which got sprung on Jim Toth, who's now on, he was working at Shaw at the time. He's like, who are these idiots? And it ended up being a really popular weekly kind of football pitch show. I got an opportunity, a guy called me, hey, you want to do some radio stuff? And that was in and around the Turn Olympics in 06. And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to. Went in and did that. That led to another thing. And then he said, well, if you want a sports show, we can't pay you, but 
you know, you could, you know, I'm sure you could make it worth your while getting a couple sponsors. And that was what was originally called the Saturday Sports Page that Vic Grant, when we moved to CGOB, renamed Hustler and Lawless. Wow. And uh, yeah, we did Saturday mornings for a while on, um, on OB. And then I guess in 09, when the Moose went into the Calder Cup, that was when it sort of really became real. They um, took us to uh, Monday to Friday every night. And uh, unbelievable opportunity to uh, be, I mean, CJOB, the Superstation, and it was synonymous with sports for all those years before we had everyday sports radio. And uh, obviously people were probably uh, aware, you know, we moved over when, well, actually before the Jets came back, but when this station, what was sports radio 1290 at the time, was getting going, we became the first daily local show. The IC guys, the Illegal Curve boys, were on uh, a little earlier doing their their, their Saturday show, right. and um, and whatever the rest is history. I mean, the Jets come back uh, five months later. We're TSN Radio, and next thing you know, we're dropping the puck, and I'm stunned <laughs> walking out of the home opener against Montreal, going, like, "This is real." Right. So, so um, there it is in a nutshell. So I remember those days, and uh, and you know, with the gold water and everything at, at Phoenix and everything that we went through. And I know that's that's when I started listening to. To 1290 again, and listening to Illegal Curve and and everything that was going on there. So, what was going through your head? Well, that time? you know what? I had a different perspective, I think, than a lot of people, and it's funny. And maybe it's because I worked for, um, you know, what was the Moose at the time through the, you know, the better part of when people are talking about maybe the teams coming back. And essentially, that last five years when it got real, I was already transitioning to the media, but. I mean, I had basically been on the front lines trying to, you know, convince, listen, if you're a hockey fan, let's support the team we have. And, you know, honestly, I had been so broken by the team leaving the first time and then putting so much into trying to build this IHL and then American Hockey League franchise for the city without ever thinking that it had any tie-in to the NHL coming back. Um, I thought it was a pipe dream, to be perfectly honest, for, for most of the time. And it really wasn't until the building happened, this economics of the NHL changed. I mean, keep in mind, you know, the early days is like the late 90s and early 2000s when, you know, the league was financially, well, a lot of the teams were just getting killed. The salaries are going, and obviously, you know, the couple of 65 cents. I know, well, exactly. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, give Gary Bettman a lot of crap for, you know, the lockouts and things. And listen, I get it. It sucks that it happened. Um, but I will say that that sort of, what they did, it maybe benefited the really rich guys because they could only spend so much. But um, it, not until those things happened was it even possible to consider Winnipeg having a team. It still is sort of amazing to me, to be perfectly honest with you, sitting down here and now talking about it. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it, it's back. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a whirlwind, I know, as a fan. You know, and um, just just your transformation from, from working in, in the sports industry and then coming on the radio, like, what, what really motivated you to get on the radio or get on, on show? Well, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I mean, I had always... You know, as a kid, I thought that that would be perfect for me. I was sort of into that. I would pretend to do play-by-play baseball games, you know, when I was really young watching. Just whatever. I was into that. I was never actually the best athlete. That was my brother. You know, he was kicking my ass when he was seven years old. And I mean, it was, you know, it teaches you to learn to be a good talker, probably. Um, but, you know, being 
I don't know. I mean, I thought that I would be good at it. And unfortunately, as it went through and what I was doing, I mean, like the Crecom program really wasn't, I think it might have just been starting once I was around there, but it right. wasn't a place where they were pumping out a lot of broadcast journalists. Right. And honestly, I didn't really know what to do. I mean, a lot of the other programs seemed like, you know, it's a 12-week program and you come and learn a few things. And it didn't really seem to me as a path to do it. And obviously, you know, I was so into hockey and I had this opportunity. I was barely 18 when I uh, when I got that job. And a lot of the other people they had hired were, you know, MBA students that were going to be there for one summer. But I think because it was the first year they'd done it, they knew that, you know, I was there and I was, I, I helped them with the hockey knowledge. Like they knew the business and all the contacts and stuff. I could talk to anybody about the team and the seats and, and that's why I ended up being uh, being successful on it. But I mean, as far as the media side of things, um, I it didn't seem realistic, and that's why I continued to do what I was doing. And you know, when I got the opportunity, honestly, it was just for fun. And I'll never forget Jared Hanna was the guy from Freak 107 that called me, and we had done some work through the Moose. I can't remember. He did some advertising with us or something. It escapes me exactly what it was. But I had known him and. And met him a couple times and he followed that and he was the one that made that call and it is crazy between that and one of my old buddies from the sales pit at the moose that that gave me just a little bit of an opportunity now who's to say if it wasn't 10 years later or 10 years you know that 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 i was at that moment i wouldn't have been able just to utilize computers and started my old thing i like to think i probably would have done that but I mean, at the time, you know, you're talking about if you want to do anything video, you need big cameras and stuff. And we just did not have, you know, it's amazing. And we're sitting here in a bar right now with a phone and just you know, banging this thing out and you'll fire it up and it'll be fine. It'll be probably 10 times better than what we would have done 15 years ago. With the, I don't, so, I mean, it's a little bit of the times too. But anyways, I always like to think that things happen for a reason. I mean, I couldn't be in my opinion, in a better spot for me. And I mean, I've had talked to people about going elsewhere and other opportunities, but to me, I mean, I put so much into Winnipeg and I think, I honestly think that, you know, guys like you, people that will see me at games, I'm probably the one person in the mirror, I'm sure I am, that doesn't go to the press box every night, but still, you know, pays for a season ticket and goes to the games. And that, and honestly, I found out that that gives me a lot of stroke with a lot of, you know, fans that give you the, the street cred like for sure like uh, the 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 host that i know is, is is a guy that i see at the rum hunt and bomber games Absolutely. and you know you're always welcoming and you're just one of the guys and that's that's what i love approach. meeting the people i mean that's why it's funny i mean who knows at some point maybe i'll go into a spot where uh i'm taking more calls i mean like i think i love the calls more than the people or the people that are working half the time we're talking about dead things you know dead mad because at the end of the day i mean and i grew up that was one thing i was always interested in radio and i mean i remember you know was an 11 or a 12 year old listening to the post game show and falling asleep listening to the calls and right. being really disappointed when it ended you know yeah. it was early and um, so, I mean, it goes back a long way, but at the end of the day, I mean, I would, if I didn't have this job, I, I, I would probably be doing pretty much the same things. Right. I mean, I would be in the same seats for the games. I'd see you at the bomber game. I mean, all of those things I would do is just, I'm lucky enough that my passion is, I mean, I'm, instead of having to go and take eight hours out of my day doing something else to pay the bills, I'm able to take that time and, you know, dive even more into sports and the side of things and, you know, bring it to folks for four hours on the radio, but um, listen, I was pretty in, <laughs> you know, you talk to your know, friends, family, ex-girlfriends, um, 
<laughs> pretty much focused on sports 24 7 and i like it that way i mean what's worked out <laughs> so before we get into into the jets and everything that's going on right now I, i've got a couple couple things a couple topics that i want to talk about first sure. first of all you know i'd be remiss to to not mention your partnership or, or the evolution that you've had with with uh, gary Lomas. sure you know he's in vegas now big time <laughs> and uh, you know you guys pretty much paid a lot of dues uh doing 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 a lot of uh radio that, that not too many people were, were listening to at the time and For sure and you guys you guys cut your teeth together uh on 1290 and um uh, so it was before then i mean we really yeah. we cut it on freak i mean those right. are what we always refer to as the shower curtain days <laughs> and then um and then you know got a great opportunity at cjob on week on weekends that turned into weekdays and that right. kind of took everything but well, I mean, yeah, and Gary, it's funny. We're on the, we're right about three blocks down from where Gary and I first got to know each other, and that was over the bar top of the Red Cactus. <laughs> but it was around. I didn't know he did there. He was covering. Was, the was Ryan your favorite? Uh, did you know Ryan Oganowski at the Red Cactus? <laughs> new Ryan, new people. I mean, Jake Kilgore was, uh, you know, is still yeah, a very right. close friend of mine, and Frank, who owned it before. Yeah. Um, if you live in and around this neighborhood, particularly then, that was a just a great spot to go meet up with people, and it got a lot of a fun. But yeah, no, we we started, you know, it, it kind of came from a couple conversations. You know, one time over a beer, one time at MTS Center, um, where, um, or actually probably more so, uh, yeah, it would have been at MTS Center. Um, that hey, you know, if you're if you're doing this, it was after the shop TV thing was going. You know, I'd love to love to do it with you. And, I probably wouldn't have actually gone forward and done it if he hadn't really expressed a lot of interest into it. And we had, we became like sort of chummy just from, you know, meeting up and having a few beers after games or whatever. But we really got to know each other from spending that time together. And as the show progressed, we got to, I mean, he is like a brother to me. I mean, there's, right. no, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a really fun, fun partnership. And it did wonders for both of us. Absolutely. And the way you guys played off each other on the show is just, you know, tremendous. Like, you're the ultimate fan, and he's the ultimate media guy. I guess. Jay Jurno, Gary Lawless. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing where he's at right now. And, you know, I'm just happy that he unblocked me finally. Uh, hey, absolutely. <laughs> hey, you know what? Shout out to me for the annual Twitter amnesty. Uh, we've gone through Blocktober already, right before Christmas, folks. You can hit me up at Hustlerama if you need to get Gary to unblock you. I will select the people to be unblocked <laughs> as we do every year. Still keep in touch with them all, sir. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I know. We, it's funny. He calls me, uh, I would say, well, just because of the time difference. A lot of times, you know, they're finishing a game. He'll know that I'm probably just getting home or whatever with it being a little later here. And he'll hit me up on his drive home from the rink a lot of times. We'll talk about the game or just BS. But I know he's globetrotting. You know, working for the team, it's very different for him. But I will give him a lot of credit and uh, and a lot of the credit that actually has helped me and helped really the evolution of what we had done. Because honestly, I mean, I was more more happy. Oh man, that was great. We went in there for two hours and did that. Now let's go. He was really thinking ahead in a lot of ways. I think part of it was working in the newspaper industry of, of journalism, which, as we've seen, has just cratered. You know, over the course right, of the past yeah. twenty years. I mean, jobs in newspapers are few and far in between. It's not growing. You know, and Gary really saw you know, a way to take, you know, what he was doing to, you know, other mediums because it was quality. Um, and, you know, and now, you know, he moved to the team and that's, you know, it's funny that 
you know, I'm the fan and he was the big J journal, yet he's the one now that's working <laughs> for the team. team. <laughs> I mean, it's ironic yeah, that way. Sure. But, you know, there is um, a main, I mean, at the end of the day, I like talking sports, entertaining, and mostly connecting with people that are have similar interests, especially when it comes to the Jets and the Bombers and Winnipeg stuff. Although, if you listen, you know, I'm into a whole bunch of other things. As I said, I got time to talk about <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, and I want to go over... One last thing, because if, if anybody's listened to, to the show, if anybody knows you, you are firmly entrenched in Kansas City. Most of the time. Yes. So where does that come from, and, and how has that evolved? Roots, it's yeah. a great story. Working yeah. for the Moose, I want to say, I guess the first year was 96, 97. So this would be either 97 or 98. Um, we tough, were, tough game, by the way. We were going, yeah, well, you know what, listen, I'm still feeling great about our chances. <laughs> Nine and two, first in the AFC. That's, know, that, that's one of the craziest games in, oh, a, long, in a long time. Yeah, like, right I mean, for lining, like, I think of get like winning the lottery and drafting lining and what that means to the Jets. This is what Mahomes is for the Chiefs. Anyway, don't get me going on the Chiefs. It'll be a three-hour podcast for last night's game. Um, but I went down with three of the guys that I worked with at the most for the Kansas City Blades were in the IHL. And we were doing a little road trip to see the Moose play on Friday and Saturday. And small world, one of the guys who worked with us, his brother was the all-time leading scorer, everything for the Kansas City Blades, and had just moved into being assistant coach, Gary Emmons. Glenn Emmons was the guy that we were going with. And uh, former Jets goaltender Doug Sotar nice. is the general manager of the Blades at the time. Wow. So we're going down and we say, you know, it would be pretty cool to go see a game. And uh, Doug Sotar said, you guys can have my tickets, but you got to bring me a couple boxes of caramels. You know, caramel bars? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> States, apparently. That was the ransom. So we brought the caramels. He gave us the tickets. We went there and we had met people at the hockey games that thought it was cool. We were Canadians that were down there for the game. They said, we want to show you how we do it. Um, you know, massive tailgates beforehand. I mean, something that I'd never seen before. And um, one of the guys, Roger Heinrich, is now like a lifelong friend. He's had his girls up to our cottage in Winnipeg and met randomly at a Blades game. There probably had 1,500 people at it. We were in his seats. Go figure. <laughs> um, but anyways, from there, uh, that was sort of with the Chiefs. And, and honestly, it was weird going on. My first ever ball game was at in Kansas City in the eighties. A little kid going to um, going to Disney World. Like my, we have family in Florida. In the summer, popped in there, saw a game, saw Bo Jackson crush one, and so it was neat. I was always kind of had a soft spot for the Royals. And I, I mean, being Canadian, obviously the Blue Jays are a big thing. I've always followed them. Right. But um, going down, meeting people, and now being back all the time—that's sort of my uh, my. Football and uh, and baseball as well. Um, I've had just incredible experiences. Raj has some sweet seats for baseball and football, and it's just a matter of me getting down there. And uh, man, we've got a good time. So uh, suffered through some really bad years, as Jet fans would understand. But you know what? When you get to the top of the mountain after suffering for so long, it makes <laughs> it that much better. Don't sure. forget that. Doug Sotart, he's part of the, one of my favorite tandems, Doug Sotart and, uh, and Stanowski. Loves caramel crunch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember that. I'll remember that. So let's get to the Jets. Um, how amazing was last year for you? Like, oh, as a yeah. fan. Like, it, it, it exceeded all expectations. And, you know, you know, as Winnipeggers, I mean, there's some people that will... You know, and rightly so. They see some things that maybe are negative, but they focus on it so much. I, mean, I like to be aware of those things and talk about it, but at the same time recognize 
some of the really good things that were happening. And I mean, if you were at all objective, you see line A in the second seed. I mean, you knew going into last year, there was no freaking way that that team should not have been at least a playoff team. Absolutely. But I understand why some people were skeptical because of what had happened, especially the year before, when a lot of that, you get line A, and somehow you're not in the playoffs. And I mean, I felt that. I'm sure people felt that from me talking to them here. You know, you sort of expected more. Um, that last year, there was no explanation. No, I'm sorry. The expectations were massive. There was going to be no excuses. I mean, they had to get it done. And I mean, I think of last season. I mean, think of those first two games. <laughs> Getting beat down by the Leafs in, like, the worst home opener. I can't possibly think of a worse way for that game to go. And then the next day, it's funny. I was here at this bar watching that Calgary game on a Saturday night. Up two goals in the second period, all right. And then just the roof came in. And they went into that third game. 0-2, playing against Edmonton. They just come off the playoffs. They were supposed to be like a big cup contender. Remember that? <laughs> That's like 13 months ago, which is so crazy considering where Edmonton is right now. Um, when Ehlers gets the hat trick, they win a game. Hellebuck comes in as well. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Mason had the first two starts. And Hellebuck basically refused to come out of the net. He just kept on winning, and they went around and – I mean, 114 points. I mean, no one could have possibly imagined that. I mean, second in the NHL. But, I mean, I certainly believe that they were a good team, and they were going to go in, they will make the playoffs, they would... I mean, and a lot of it was about Paul Maurice. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, you know, at the end of the season that they didn't make the playoffs, I mean, there was a lot of people questioning the decisions that they made. Did they get even close to... Um, close to maximum of what was there and a lot of people would say no they would also say it was for other reasons like it was like where he said today when we were talking about Veselina three years ago he'd be playing in the top six right Right now he's not there I mean the team is different but I mean I have to give credit I mean to me last year was a put up or shut up year for a lot of those people and not only did they put up they put together the greatest season in NHL Winnipeg history and I mean then the playoffs came and it was something I mean we'll never forget I mean like I hope I hope now that it will be a second time as great as this team is that it can even match like the excitement really of that you recall the first time they made it was against the Ducks came back here down two nothing lost one game down three zip everyone know what's done I mean it was over before we even knew it started right but even the excitement that first whiteout game Tremendous. Like, uh, you know, I, I remember being at that first whiteout game and it was 45 minutes before the game started and everybody was already on their feet and yelling, right? What, what do you think was the biggest factor about last year? What, what do you think put him over the edge? Um, well, I mean, it would be foolish not to say goaltending first and foremost. I mean, it's hard to look at the season Hildebuck had and compare it to the goaltending they had in every mm-hmm. other year and not say... That was the number one reason. I mean, the guy was a Vesna Trophy finalist. It's the most important position on the ice. And really, if you don't have good goal, I mean, I think if he wasn't as good as he was last year, it still would have been a playoff team. But instead of being 114 points, he might have been in the, in the mix. I mean, right. he was he was unbelievable. Absolutely. Um, now, there's a lot of other things, too, I think, that go into it. We'll debate forever as to whether signing um, Mason really sort of, I mean, because it essentially regulated him to a backup and, hey, play well and maybe you'll win some games. Right. I mean, 
who knows whether it challenged him to the point where he did whatever he did to have to do to beat that guy out for the job and, and whatever. But if Hellebuck doesn't do it, I mean, it's another disaster season because, I mean, Mason, and man, was that guy star-crossed. I mean, every time he turned around, he was either getting to the Jets, did play horrible in front of him. <laughs> yeah, if the you first go back years, and look yeah. at some of the games that he actually did lose, when you think about his, his first three losses, it was those two games. Then Hellebuck won a few. If you remember, I think it was a Monday night against Columbus in <laughs> October. And they go, all right, let's go back to Mason. And they did not show up. And it no. was just another dud. And at that point, you know, they still hadn't put anything really consistently together. But, um, man, I mean, Blake Wheeler, at some point, I hope somebody that's really followed this team closely puts together something that just chronicles. Maybe one of the great writers, a guy like Randy Turner or something like that, that he's great with the jokes, but he's also an incredible mind for long Friend of the show, by the way. Absolutely (laughs) friend of the show. Um, On the evolution of Wheeler, from when he came here from Atlanta, to the player that he is right now. And I mean, and I often bust his balls about always being in a bad mood and bad yeah. mood. Like, because last year it seemed like every time he really seemed pissed off, he'd go <laughs> and completely take over the game. Or it would just he yeah. set the emotional level for, sure. for that team. And honestly, like, I don't want to say before they were complacent or, but you know what I mean? You win two games, more of the year they could never win three in a row. Absolutely, yeah. Like, how is that possible for a team that good? And Listen, I really think that he changed the game as far as the expectations. He set the bar so high. And then you have buy-in from a self-admitted hockey nerd like Shifley and a teammate, a companionship between those two guys. I mean, that's another thing that, I mean, you can't buy. Like, every team wants that. But, I mean, in some ways, it was it was a great pick of Mark Shifley. And whatever they did, whatever Blake Wheeler did, personally to get to be the captain that he is right now i don't think we can overstate how important his role in everything has been he's the motor he, he's yeah. the motor he's the motivator in that room he's a, he's a clear-cut leader of this of this team and um, he's still not in my top four or five shootout choices but he is the, <laughs> uh, he's the man what what gets you pumped about this year's team what, what gets you going about this year's team? Dude, I mean, so last night's game, Lina gets the hat trick. And, you know, a lot of people have been freaking out. Oh, my God, Lina hasn't scored in five on five. And, and I get it. And, listen, I love Kyle Connor. A lot of people have been saying, oh, if you had to choose between the two, the answer is you don't. You do whatever it takes to keep them both. But, like, how a, a slow couple weeks in – for Patrick Lanning at five on five, still scoring on the power play, has somehow made him just another player. This guy is a generational goal scorer. We will be thanking our lucky stars if you're a Jet fan every single playoffs every single for till the eternity yeah. that the bingo balls went the Jets' way. And we got him. I will never forget like that. That April thirtieth. We joke, that should be St. Patrick's Day in Winnipeg. The day the freaking Jets got stuck in the lottery, they knew they were getting out. They were getting line. But so he he goes off playing with Connor, who is just out of his mind right now. And all of a sudden, we have a second line featuring these incredible players that it actually does what everyone knows that it's capable of. You combine that with one of the best top lines in the league, 
The TLC line, which is, I mean, show me as good of a straight-up checking line. There's not many, if any. And then a fourth line right now with Matthew Perot, Nick Patan, and Jack Roslevic. Like, listen, I know we've been blessed so far. There has been no injuries, and I think, like, we should remember that. Like, that just doesn't happen. And later on in the season, we could be seeing, you know, Logan Shaw or Seth Griffith or Appleton or some of those guys playing because injuries will eventually happen to this team. But right now, I was listening to some of the Vancouver people talk about the Jets after that game last night. And I mean, they are just saying, like, this is... These teams are in two different weight classes. The Jets right now in the NHL are heavyweights. Yeah, and that that's the score last night was very flattering to, to Vancouver for sure. Like that 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 is some yeah, they were all over them. I mean Pedersen shot though. That's that all time. You know, I'll bury Horowitz myself and pat myself on the back for taking uh, Elias in both my hockey drafts this year. He um yeah, he is something else. I mean I just sort of mean I'll be honest, I hadn't really seen him much before, but you know, people that I trust, very excited about his potential as a rookie. And, uh, and you know what? I, I, listen, from hating Vancouver for, for so long, I kind of feel sorry for them. You know? Like, the way they lost the cop, embarrassing their city with the riots, and then the team sort of bottoming out. Honestly, they sort of deserve to be. It would be good to have them. It would be good to hate them again because they're good and they're a contender. You know what I mean? And, you know, they've got to, you know, watch last night and, you know, Investors like year last year, they've got some good key young components there that you know. But a guy like that, he's a game changer. That uh, uh, Pedersen, oh my god, <laughs> just like Line is, but even better because he's a center, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you we can say that, but here's the thing, and this is why I mean I'll put Line A up. I mean there are a few players. I mean Austin Matthews, absolute elite superstar in the league. I'm not getting into this Line A versus Matthews. However, Line A has a as a a pure score. He can do things that almost nobody else on the planet can do. I mean, if it's coming down to it and there's 15 seconds left and one guy is taking the shot to win the game or to tie it up or whatever, how many guys in the world would you take over Patrick Lyon? Exactly, exactly. And that's why, I mean, who knows? Maybe he has a pedestrian year and they somehow, you know, it takes a little off his... Uh, his salary uh, for a long-term deal, they can pay Casey more or one of the other guys. I Listen, at the end of the day, you do what you have to do to keep him happy, productive, and here as long as humanly possible. So what, what do you make of that report that came out a couple of days ago about Patrick Liney not being happy in Winnipeg? I'll be honest, I didn't even hear it. But, I mean, I don't know. I see him a lot. His parents sure are happy. They come to BP before <laughs> almost every game. Wonderful people. I mean... Listen, he might not have been happy in the last two and a half weeks because they couldn't find a line for him to play on, and he honestly wasn't playing that very well. Playing very well. We had Mike uh, Mike Kelly on the show today. He talked about how he tracked the Jets games, and of that area, that slot in front of the game. Uh, sorry, in front of the net, where half of NHL goals are scored. Lenny almost had no shots this year in that area. He had two last night in that area. They both went in. So, I mean, a little bit is that. I mean, obviously, he had some issues at some times, whether it was coverage in his own end, or I think the big thing that was so glaring to people was, you know, having bad luck with chipping the puck out of the zone, having it come in, not clearing it. And then you've got that line, whoever he's playing with, chasing the puck for another 20 seconds before a shot comes on. You know, it just sort of took away. But, I mean, overall, I, I thought those were very, very small things. Some of the shots weren't going in. His shooting percentage was low. 
knew that that would go up eventually. But I mean, if a light came on with Connor and Little, that, you know, getting a little bit closer to the net, figuring out a way, he's 20 years old. He's going to still learn a lot. Sure. Um, he's great. But yeah, I, I put it this way. I don't know. I wouldn't put very much into it. We should have asked him today after he got a hat trick. I'm sure he loves it. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be me to, uh, or, 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 you know, the, the way, the way that, that I found, anyways, um, if I didn't mention questioning what Paul Maurice does with the deployment of the forwards, like how long it took him to sure. to, to move to move Ehlers up on the line with with, with Scheif and Ehlers. Well, I mean, before, I mean, like, I get all those questions, and I know there's a lot of people like, oh, my God, play the fourth line more. But listen, would I like to see the fourth line play more? Yeah. But you know what? If you're in a tie game or you're down a goal, I get why they're running Scheifele and... I mean, like, there hasn't been a time where I'm like, like, put it this way, the team's down by a goal, uh, you know, and there's a minute and 15 seconds left, and all of a sudden the TLC line's going up. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Right. But, I mean, they are they are rolling, and he's made some decisions that, you know, I think the score of these games has really just had poor starts. Like, mm-hmm. they had never had, you know, or even tied or playing well and having leads. And I think that built into the, the – and I'm, let's just talk about the fourth line for a minute because – and let's face it, the fourth line wasn't as good as it is now with Patan, Roslovic, and Perot. It's crazy. Right. Like, it's even better. I mean, when they had Line a playing with um, with Tanev, or uh, Lowry and Tanev, yeah. and Perot up. And, I mean, listen, Perot is a guy that completely probably deserves more ice time. I mean, he is a guy that can go anywhere. And I get why they put him up there. Line a wasn't playing well. He needed to kind of get things going. And, you know what they threw him on? It was the most bizarre thing I thought of the first. Wow, Patrick Lyon is playing with Adam Lowry and Brad <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know, he and Marie, Lowry and Maurice talked a little bit about that. Just you know, maybe you pick a little, a little thing, you know, a couple things up from being what you have to do to keep up at that pace, checking wise. Anyway, all I know is that they've turned it into the second line right now. The fingers crossed. These guys will keep on clicking. But uh, I really think that this fourth line will play a heck of a lot more um, as they go forward. I, I think we all have to realize that as much as we love Nick Patan and we think that he's a great player and he's capable of stuff, if you've only got two minutes left in the game and it's tied, you're looking for a goal, they're probably putting out the Shifley line Absolutely. and then the lining line. Yeah. And that's just sort of the way things go. But, um, you know, much I, I haven't even checked the ice time from last night, but I would imagine that, you know, they're continually – it seems like they're trending in the right direction. And and listen, I also think that this Jets team is good enough that instead of chasing a lot of games like they did earlier and coming up with wins, I would not be surprised if they really get into a groove that, you know, there will be a lot of times where we'll see way higher numbers for that fourth one because they'll have the opportunity to play because the score will will dictate that they're able to. But I honestly think... I, I, I think Maurice has more confidence right now in that lineup, one to twelve, and especially in the fourth line, probably than at any point as he's been here. And I can't, I can't crudely criticize who's in the lineup right now. What I can on the forward side, anyway. So what, what about on defense? And and who's who's here right now and who's up with the team? I know there's a lot of people who are advocating for Sammy to, to, to be in the lineup. Yeah, so I guess he'd take out Joe Morrow's spot. He'd be the uh, be the other guy. Listen, what I like to see it, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I guess you got to get to a point where you're comfortable enough in the standings. I think he's sort of just waiting for somebody to get nicked up and just do it so he doesn't have to bench someone, to be honest. Um, 
because he's definitely going to, going to play. And that's an interesting point. So, so the the knock that a lot of a lot of guys have, well, not a lot of guys, the guys who hang around my crowd, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> is that is that uh, Paul Maurice is is loyal to a fault to his veterans. What do you what do you think about that? that Listen, that? valid valid criticism at times. Um, Listen, I had that criticism Friday night when I was yelling for Kyle Connor to be the third shooter. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm like, what do you mean, Wheeler? And, then, and Brian Little probably is a bit better than Wheeler historically in the shootout. But, I mean, honestly, if you really needed one goal on a break, were you putting either of those guys out before Connor? <laughs> no way. Um, but I think it's important to remember that we're in, like, game 20 of the season. And, well, I joked last week, I'm like, is this team 5-11? and 11? Or 11 and 5, like with some of the things that people were kind of being like, I can't score. Guys, it's actually pretty good right Right. now. This is the first quarter of the season. Think back to how different things were at game 60 last year than they were in game 15. I mean, everything was changed. The team became the team that they were, and they were on the right path. So, I mean, I think a lot of that will almost probably work itself out as it is. I right. mean, if they keep on winning, I mean, it's pretty tough to go to Morrow or whoever and say, ah, oh, you're out. If it ain't broke, right? So if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, listen, I mean, he is called up right now. I mean, I would have been more than happy. I mean, this, it's not a bad thing for him to play 24 minutes in the American League while the team's still winning games. I mean, that's more so for defense than even for forwards. Right. And I can say that from watching that league probably a thousand games over by the time I was in the A and we were an affiliate. You see guys come in and play and what it does. Um, this guy has all world skill. I think when he gets in there, he will do some special things. But I do understand why they're taking advantage of maybe the first couple months of the season to try to continue to get him better in that defensive end because you can do all the flashy plays and make all the highlight reels if you can't handle it in your own end. And you get scored on. It's it's not a winning it's not a winning condition right now. But I do think that Sammy and again, you know, much like the forwards, there's some good players. I more but to be honest, is like I thought he was just straight up press box guy. Yeah. You know, whatever. We gave away that pick just in case. And you know, he's he's been pretty good. And I mean, I'll tell you what, Sherrod's playing. I was never a huge. I mean, listen, I liked him. I, I thought he was, you know, that depth depth guy. Him and Buff, I don't know, it's guys scoring goals too. Mr. 107. <laughs> right. Everyone knows he, the heat he brings. He he is playing with Buff. Um one one other defenseman that I want to talk about before we move on is Tyler Myers. And how he's been defensively. There have been some very glaring defensive lapses and oh my God. some reads that are just totally I have no idea what he's thinking of. So what, what what's your stance on Tyler Myers and where he stands and where he is on the depth chart and and what we should do with him? Um, well, I mean, I think what they sh- well, okay, where he stands in the depth chart, he's the third pairing right defenseman. And if you compared every team in the NHL's bottom pair, it's a I mean, again that just talks about the the strength of this roster. Now, does Tyler Myers sometimes do things that leave you going, what in the world was he just thinking? Um, absolutely. Am I nervous at times when they're in their own end and, you know, Myers is on their person? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, that being said, he does do things, you know, in the offensive zone. I mean, it's not like he's just sitting there and getting killed the whole time. He, 
I think his size, um, sometimes the nature of the mistakes he makes make them more glaring. And for whatever reason, well, probably a reason he's made a few bad plays, he's become a little bit of the popular guy to, to, to get over. Like, put it this way, he can make 10 great plays. None of those are getting gift on the net. But, man, make a read like he did last week and going the wrong way on that thing. And, I mean, it's getting, like, 200 retweets and stuff. And, I mean, I get it. That's sort of the... He, really, he, he makes good GIF material. Like yeah, he, yeah. well, listen, he has. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen. I, I, I'm the, third pairing defenseman. I mean, you're playing whatever those minutes, not on the power play anymore. You know, can I can I live with it? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, as I said, I mean, think about what we're talking about. It's not like he's our number, you know, their number one D. Um, and as far as what they do with him, I mean, they. I mean, I listen. I would have no problem if, for some reason, some team said we really, you know, this guy can play way more. We'll give you something at the trade deadline, and and move Myers. I mean, could. I'm sure, like Pullman, right. they call it a Pullman, Niku, those guys, could, could they do it? Probably. I don't know for sure right now, but I would certainly be all ears for something like that. But, I mean, I think really what's going to happen, and again, we're, we're talking about this team with everybody healthy, which is not going to be, like, by the time we get to the playoffs, who knows where we're at. And, you know, maybe you squeeze a great couple months out of him. Bottom line is, he's going to be 5.5 million bucks coming off the books next year. There is zero chance that you could possibly re-sign a guy like that and anywhere close to that money to play in the position that he's in. And, uh, you know, I think you'll you'll find him, you know, as a free agent somewhere. Like, if the team wasn't good, they'd trade him for sure because you'd be able to get him. But, I mean, you you need this. I worked with Craig Heisinger for a long time, and he said back in the, in the AHL days, you want to win the Calder Cup, you need at least 10 good defensemen. Like, through that playoff run, they're going down... And now I think they're up to a dozen in the National Hockey League. So, you know, he'll be, I think he'll be a part of the team this year. And economics, if nothing else, will dictate that someone, somebody else will pay him more than Winnipeg will next year. How, how important is uh, Jacob Truba to remaining in Winnipeg? How important is that to, to, to the Jets? That's a great question. And the reason why it's so great is that you know, we can say one way or the other how much we personally think about it. You know, evidence will tell you that he is a pretty damn important player on this hockey club. And a, and a great asset if you trade him. I mean, again, if you do trade him, you got to make sure. Much like Sheldon said when he held up the first time, oh, well, I guess we'll entertain a trade, but we're looking for something in equal value of return in that spot. So this year is, is very critical because uh, they've got one more shot basically to do something with him. And if he's not destined to sign long term. I mean, do you think he is? I mean, does anyone think that he is? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, trust me, the Jets would love to have him. Like, I don't think they've been, you know, lowballing him when they got to this point. I mean, they've done a pretty good job of signing everybody else. I mean, I think throughout this entire thing, my, my uh, observation is that I don't think that here as camp has ever been in a position where they were prepared to sign a long-term deal and it hasn't happened so you know what hey listen we're getting some of the prime years of of jacob true right now and you know what there's some players unfortunately you can't keep them forever and if it comes down i do like the fact that they took a one and not a two-year arbitration because at the end of this season they'll have the opportunity or really actually after january first or whatever they could be talking 
if they do want to get together. Like, I've always hoped, because I would love to see Truba stay. I've always hoped that, you know, despite whatever it is about Winnipeg or crappy winters or whatever, there's a list yeah. of things why you might want to play somewhere else. And I get it. He's American. He's from there. Totally within his rights to do that. But I just hope that maybe the team will be so good. They'll do so well. And, I mean, I'll say one thing. It's not like he's one of these guys like Duchesne was in Colorado. He's the opposite of that. I mean, he's with Shite. They're out at the Bombers. I mean, Absolutely. it's him with Kopp and these guys. I mean, he's totally part that of was, the That team. was a close cool segment, by the way. Yeah, that was we really neat. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, I love seeing the local teams do stuff yeah, together. Absolutely. I mean, it's long overdue, to be honest with you. Um, totally not a different topic. But, um, yeah, I, listen, would I love to see him stay long-term for sure? And, listen, I think... Again, depending on what number you're talking about. I mean, you know, lock him up. I have a lot of confidence. He'll be a great defenseman for, he's done it for eight years, I think at least five or six. So, would I have confidence to do it? Yeah. Do I think it's going to happen? No. And I think that's why this summer is so important. But listen, the more, the better Truba plays, the better of a trade ship. better for us too. I mean, there's no, like, let's go out, have a great season, win a cup, and you know, if you do want to go somewhere else, okay, fine. But are you sure you want to leave this team? I mean, those will all be questions that they'll ask for. But I, I think he's been a priority for a while. And for whatever reasons, and I have no idea, to be honest, it doesn't really matter what his reasons are. I mean, it could be something to do with a girlfriend or fiance or something. It could be at school or whatever they've been talking about. Like, like, or it could be the weather. Or like, it's his life. He doesn't have to sign eight years of the Jets if he doesn't want to. They'll do their part to get it done. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. That Then it's the GM's job to make sure that you figure out a way to take that huge hole that will be left by him and do your best to fill that with whatever comes back in, uh, in your deal. Well, last question. We've been, we've been doing this for a while. I know we could talk forever. Don't tell me, man. This is great. When the Jets win the Stanley Cup, where and what will you be doing? Well, uh, I hope I'll be at the game. <laughs> Wherever it is. If it is in Winnipeg, I certainly will be. Um, I mean, afterwards, I mean, if I'm in town, I will hoist one wherever we're at, at downtown. And I think probably uh, half the city will be down at Portage and Maine. Too bad we didn't break down those barriers. I, mean, <laughs> I thought if anyway, I was like, who was going to go with that? Listen. Let's look in the future. We need these barriers to come down for a freaking Stanley Cup parade. Maybe a Grey Cup, too. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think that will be the case. And if not, if it's on the road, I'll be there somewhere around it. And uh, As I said, two things I want in life, just two. Jets to win the Cup and a hole-in-one. Hopefully, I, who knows, maybe both can happen this year. I came two inches away at Shooters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, hope you'll be back again. I hope you come on again, because uh, this is a blast, man. Like, uh, this is great. You know, I, as I said, I think you know me. I, you probably can tell what I'm doing every day. I love doing it. Absolutely. I often say that if I didn't have that job, I'd be sitting over at Santa Lucia or Wind City or the, one of these places having these same conversations over the bar top. So we just combined it together today for the bar. I, you know, like I always said, like I told you earlier, like you, you've got the, the job that every every guy would love to do. You, you send talk sports and. I don't think there's anybody in the city that that could fill that space and fill that that uh, position more than you, man. Like, I mean, you're I, the I, ultimate. You're the ultimate fan, and you get to be a professional at it. I, I, you know what? I appreciate it. I, I don't know how it's worked out that I've been able to sort of, 
you know, obviously you have to, there is some journalism, there's a lot of things, you know, reporting news that you have to do seriously on the program, but at the end of the day, even now, even with it being TSN and, you know, with the Jets and being in the NHL, one of the top teams and everything that is around it, every day I go into work thinking the exact same way I did 10, 15 years ago, how about that game last night, uh, you know, excited for what's next, and just looking to talk sports, and uh, hopefully I'll continue doing it for a long time. But uh, anytime you want to chat, you hit me up. Awesome, dude. It's been a slice. Uh, you know what? Uh, say hi to, to Gary for me when you get a chance. Well, certainly and, I will. And, uh, and uh, you know, give 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 Ricky a big hug for me. Don't forget, folks, Twitter amnesty for Gary coming in <laughs> December at Hustlerama on Twitter. <laughs> awesome, dude. Thanks a lot. My pleasure.